Hello, welcome to FASD Family Life, the show for families by families, where we discuss parenting children and teens with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I am your host, Robbie Seal, FASD educator, advocate, and mom of four children with FASD. I know the struggle is real, but so is success. I hope that sharing my experiences can help you feel that you're not alone and that there is hope for you and your child with FASD. Please take a second to like, subscribe, and turn on your notifications so you don't miss any episodes of FASD Family Life. New episodes are released every Friday and are available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podcast Addict. You can also share the podcast with your friends and family by copying the link into an email and come visit me at Robbie Seal on Facebook. I will post resources and great reads and answer some of your questions. Thank you so much for all of the love I've received in emails from listeners. I appreciate all of your comments and your questions. You guys make this podcast amazing. In this episode, we will take a look at accommodations that enable children and youth with FASD to have their best experiences at home, school, sports, and in the community. I will share some of the tricks I've learned from other parents and that I've discovered from my own experience raising four kids with FASD. Okay, welcome my friends to episode number five of FASD Family Life the podcast for families by families where we get real about raising children and youth with FASD. I am so happy that you could join me. In this episode, we will discuss some of your questions and explore a few tried and tested accommodations that will reduce the daily struggles for you and your child with FASD. If you have any questions, please send me an email at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com and I will do my best to answer them for you. FASD is a complicated disability. It is difficult to diagnose and may present differently from one person to the next. Most often, there is no visible presentation of a disability. In fact, less than 10% of people with FASD have facial differences associated with FASD. And did you know that those characteristic changes to the facial structure only occur if alcohol is ingested on day 21 of pregnancy? If you are parenting a child or youth with FASD, you are likely becoming aware of the challenges and more than likely frustrated by the fact that your parenting doesn't work. Most of us parent the way we've been parented. If it worked for us, then it should work for our kids, right? Or perhaps you've studied child development and read some very well-respected parenting books, but still find that you're striking out, unable to modify your child's undesirable behavior. If you're like many parents raising a child with an invisible disability, you are likely getting a lot of well-meaning but misplaced advice, telling you to be less strict and that you're hovering or being overprotective, or perhaps that you need to be stricter with your child and that your child just needs some tough love or spare the rod, spoil the child. How about this one? If you would just put your child in music lessons, everything would be fine. People mean well, but what they do not realize is that you are parenting a child with a permanent brain and body injury called fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. This brain and body injury manifests itself in many ways, including behavioral symptoms, aches and pains, a disproportionate occurrence of many health conditions, including arthritis, heart disease, digestive problems, scoliosis, and many, many more. Children, youth, and adults with FASD are at an incredibly high risk of mental health disorders as well. 
Heartbreakingly, 90% of individuals with FASD will experience mental health challenges in their lifetime, including ADHD, depression, anxiety, and many more. My heart broke when I first read that statistic. What can parents do to mitigate the risk? Thankfully, there is a lot we can do, and listening to this podcast and others about FASD is a really great place to start. FASD Hope is an excellent podcast. It is hosted by Natalie Vecchione, a parent and advocate. FASD Forever is another informative podcast, and it is hosted by Jeff Noble. Research has shown us that a stable placement is the number one protective factor for a child and youth with FASD. However, a stable placement is far more than a loving home. Love will not be enough. Parents of an individual with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder need to learn everything they can about this complicated, invisible, lifelong disability. They also need the wraparound support of professionals who understand FASD. Physicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, occupational health therapists, behavioral specialists, respite providers, teachers, school administrators, as well as friends who are raising a child with FASD. Donna DeBolt, an FASD educator who was instrumental in my development as a parent, says parents need training, training, and more training, coaching, and respite. And if a parent says that they've had enough training, well, they need more training. And I totally agree. When I started on this journey, training was very hard to find and it was very expensive. Conferences and FASD training workshops were easily three to $500. And I don't know about you, but as a single parent of five, I couldn't take that much out of my grocery budget. I read a lot of books about FASD and was connected with a fantastic local resource run by Catholic Social Services. It was called Coaching Families Program. And that Coaching Families Program provided me free parent coaching and monthly support group meetings where I learned a lot about FASD. And I may or may not have snuck into a conference or two because I was so desperate to learn. What I learned was FASD is a physical disability. It will not heal. Just as a disability such as Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, autism, or an amputated limb will not heal. The individual with the disability, whether it be FASD, Down syndrome, ASD, or an amputated limb, requires accommodations. Changes must be made to their environment and to our expectations in order for them to reach their full potential. The first modification to the environment must be the expectation of the adults around the individual with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Once I was finally able to let it sink in that my children are disabled, it changed my parenting 100%. It was a complete paradigm shift. It did not mean that I became a passive parent and that did not require my children to eat dinner, to attend school regularly, to brush their teeth and to mind their manners. What it did mean is I needed to build a lot of bridges of structure, routine, signaling, sensory awareness, visual and auditory cues, and extra time for my children to successfully meet my expectations. also meant that I had to change my expectations of how and when things happened and often inquire of myself if they needed to happen at all. Eating dinner together as a family can be a really nice time to connect. However, there are loads of things that can disrupt the experience for an individual with FASD. Not the least of which is the time of day. 
My children and teens with FASD are pretty much worn out by the time dinner time comes around. They have worked really hard all day, navigating many transitions, many different people, each with their own style of communication and expectations. Many different environments, such as home, car or school bus, school, classroom, recess, then back to classroom, lunchtime, recess again, back to classroom, recess, back to classroom, dismissal, and then hop into the car or the van and the school bus ride home. And I didn't even mention the hallway. Have you ever been in the hallway of an elementary school at recess? It's a tornado of activity, noise, chatter, and excitement as the children from 5 to 11 years old rush outside for their 15 minutes of freedom. And junior high? Junior high hallways are a friggin' jungle. With all the loud voices talking at once, the cacophony of smells from cologne, perfume, and body odor, and the jostling into one another, relentless teasing and judgment, it's exhausting for anyone. And when we consider that the primary disabilities of individuals with FASD are brain-based, things such as problem-solving, cognitive pace, flexible thinking, memory, impulsivity, attention, receptive language, expressive language, decoding language, decoding nonverbal communication, concrete thinking, difficulty switching modalities such as thinking to writing and listening to writing, inability to predict outcomes of behaviors, inability to sense time, inability to read an analog clock, sensory integration problems, meaning that the environments are often too loud, too smelly, too itchy, too tight, too buggy, too bright, and cause extreme discomfort, unable to follow multi-step instructions, require additional time to recall stored information, inability to make connections between stored information and new information, and the inability to sit still. And recess. Recess can be a particularly challenging environment for our children with FASD because it is an unstructured, minimally supervised time charged with excitement, all of which can be a real setup for disaster for children who are unable to structure their own time, unable to self-govern their own behavior, and are highly impulsive. My husband and I often joke with one another that any idea is a good idea. We can understand why our child or teen may be grumpy, complaining about everything and everyone, and perhaps is unable to concentrate on eating their meal at supper time. Over the years, we have learned that our kids need a variety of accommodations to reduce barriers to enable them to have the best experience at supper time. Just with all accommodations, it starts first from an understanding that my child is having a hard time, not giving me a hard time. And that's a hard one some days. And then we think about what changes we can make to the physical environment to enable our child to succeed. This shift also involves examining our own values and expectations around mealtime and ask ourselves if those serve our family well or not. Because the individuals with FASD have unreliable memory and find it difficult to anticipate when and how things should happen, we found that structure and routine built a sort of scaffolding of predictability for our kids. I like how Dr. Nathan Ori puts it. He says, structure is doing the same thing the same way every single time. And with this in mind, we figured out which place at the table was best for each child with FASD, considering proximity to parents, proximity to siblings, as well as what visual distractions might be in the way, and the lighting and the sounds. 
those placements at the table became foundational and unchanging, even when we have company. We have found exceptions might be tolerated by a child if they're asked first, but not if they're surprised. And it was always made more fun if they could make place cards and they could decide where everyone would sit around the table. We also made sure that supper was always at the same time every day, within, you know, maybe 30-minute variation if necessary. We do not have background music playing. We do not have a fan blowing or a ticking clock in the room because that would overwhelm their already taxed sensory processing abilities. Supper was always at the same table and each person seated at the same place around the table. We found that routine was important as well. So I began creating a predictable meal plan, which we found helped rooted our children. Monday became Meatball Monday with spaghetti and meatballs. Tuesdays were Taco Tuesday, and the day Auntie and Cousins would join us for dinner. Wednesday was chicken in the winter months and barbecue in the summer. Thursdays were supper at Grandma and Grandpa's house. Fridays were pizza and a movie in the winter months, and maybe barbecue burgers and hot dogs in the summer. Saturday was leftovers or a crockpot supper like chili and buns, and Sunday was a free-for-all because, frankly, I'm tired on Sundays and I don't want to cook. This was our routine for years and years. It's boring for us, but it was necessary for our kids. Slowly, one thing might fall away or change, but only one thing at a time. And God help me if I altered a recipe or tried a different pasta sauce with our meatballs. For years, our youngest needed help to eat. He would sit at his place at the table, but he would be unable to get started eating. Many, many suppers I fed him his entire meal. Some nights I just had to feed him two or three bites and then he would be able to carry on independently. Other times he would start but couldn't finish, so I would feed him the rest. Sometimes others would say, he's a big boy, he can do it on his own. Well, in my mind, if he could, he would, and I would help him as much or as little as he needed. He has a brain injury. He has a brain that can be unreliable, and it gets fatigued, not entirely unlike someone who's had a stroke or has dementia. We still have a very routine-based approach to meals. Monday is still Meatball Monday. Thursdays at Grandma and Grandpa's have been sidelined by COVID. Fridays are still pizza and a movie. One Sunday evening, I made their favorite meal. I used Grandma's meatloaf recipe, mashed potatoes and creamed corn. And one of my girls said, we should have this more often. I asked if they would like to have this meal every Sunday and they all said, yes. Sunday evening meatloaf has brought a beautiful stability to our kids. Sunday evenings are difficult for our children for a couple of reasons. First, because they transition to and from my ex-husband's every other week. And secondly, because it's the end of the weekend. We know transitions are hard. My husband and I have been trying to come up with something for years that would help the kids. Providing our children their favorite meal every Sunday night has made a world of difference for them. And now that our children are teenagers, they find having dinner together overwhelming most days. Adolescent years are challenging for everyone, but they are extraordinarily difficult for individuals with FASD. We have accommodated their increased need for quiet and personal space by giving them the freedom to take their plate and eat in the kitchen while we eat in the dining room. Okay, now that sounds fancy, but believe me, it's not. The dining room has a simple IKEA table with wooden benches along the sides and a wooden chair at either end. It's a simple space. 
But the key for us is that it is separate from the kitchen so that one or two of our kids can get away if being together is too much. And this phase of family life with three teenagers with FASD, I am finding more and more accommodations are necessary to optimize everyone's ability. Sometimes that means one or both of our twins eat in the kitchen away from the family. Other times, if my son is dysregulated, maybe I call him to dinner first and have him eat at his spot at the kitchen table. His spot is where he eats breakfast, does his homework, sits to color if the mood strikes him, or he sits to read. His spot anchors him because it's predictable and it's his. Another cool trick I just learned is to call the kids to supper at the regular time and let them choose to eat in the dining room or the kitchen. And when they're finished, have them put their dishes away and my husband and I can eat dinner together alone with no fighting or managing challenging behaviors. Oh my gosh, if we're really lucky, we might even have an uninterrupted conversation, but let's not get our hopes too high. Accommodations are critical to success. We have to remove the barriers to getting what we need. Many years ago, when my kids were young and I was newly separated, my 14-year-old was about to be swept away into addiction. And I couldn't access the services we needed from the city because we lived in a bedroom community. But I was desperate to save my daughter from the impending train wreck that drugs and alcohol were going to bring. So I, I rented my house out and I found a house to rent in the city so that I could get services. And that wasn't easy. No one wanted to rent to a single mom with five kids. Sadly, moving didn't derail the train as I hoped it would, but it did allow me to access services such as coaching families where I began to learn more about FASD and the accommodations my children needed. Moving into the city also gave me access to addictions treatment and counseling for my daughter. And it also gave us access to a Saturday respite program for my younger children, not yet diagnosed with FASD. And what a godsend that was. It was a safe place for my youngest three children to feel loved, to feel successful, and to build friendships that they still have more than 10 years later. The respite program gave me predictable respite so that I could have a break, recharge myself so I could keep going for another week. And it introduced me to other parents raising children the same age as mine who were experiencing the same challenges. It was a place for friendship and peer mentorship. After I got married again, my husband and I soon realized that his house wasn't suitable for my children. We needed to find a house that accommodated their need for supervision as well as adequate space so they could separate from each other and have a quiet place to get away. It wasn't easy, but we found a house that had four bedrooms on one level. One of the things that was so important for our family was that all the bedrooms be on the same level in order for us to be able to provide the structure and supervision our young children needed to be safe. It was the first time my twins had had their own rooms and it also became the first time in more than eight years that they had slept through the night consistently. Another important accommodation is that our house is on a bus route. When we bought the house, we did not know if our kids would be able to drive when they were teenagers or young adults. So being on a bus route may give them the, the ability to get to high school or to a job someday. FASD is a lifelong disability. Each person with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder has their unique strengths and challenges. We need to talk about FASD, the struggles and the successes, and we need to shut down the stigma around this disability. We need to be compassionate and inclusive, recognizing no one is self-made. We all need help to reach our full potential. 
and because individuals with FASD have unreliable memory and may find it difficult to anticipate when and how things should happen, structure and routine are necessary to construct a scaffolding of predictability. Over much time, when we build a strong structural foundation by doing the same thing the same way every single time, our children build capacity to do more and more for themselves. But it takes a lot of time, repetition, coaching, and sometimes assistance to enable our children and youth with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Next episode, we will tackle the dreaded morning mayhem and the challenges so many families raising children and youth with FASD are facing. Do your mornings feel like you're herding cats? Are you frustrated and feeling defeated by working so hard and seeing no improvement? I've been there. Next episode, I'll share the strategies that will transform your chaos to calm. Well, okay, calmer. Do you have a behavioral symptom that you're struggling with that you'd like me to discuss on the show? Do you have questions about accommodations that will help your child reach his full potential? Do you have questions about FASD? Email the show at fasdfamilylife at gmail.com and please share the podcast with your friends and family so they can learn about FASD. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. I know it's precious. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a comment. Give a like to make it easier for others to find FASD Family Life, a podcast for families, by families, raising children and youth with FASD. And email your questions to fasdfamilylife at gmail.com. Until next time, remember, the struggle is real, but so is success. I'll speak with you soon.